Cue Mariah Carey. In honor of the end of the year holidays, what's a favorite song for this type of time of year? I'm Katie Rich, and there's a song called Carry Me Home by a Canadian band I know nothing about otherwise called Hey Rosetta uh, that's on a Christmas playlist that Joanna Robinson uh, made oh. available to me nine years ago, and wow. I listen to every year. <laughs> it's a nice, semi-sad Christmas song about how you just kind of want to go home for Christmas. Um, if that's the vibe you're going for, it's a good one. I'm Matt Patches. If I have to pick a single song lately, I'm going to go with uh, Alone on Christmas Day by Phoenix from that Bill Murray, Sofia Coppola Christmas special that was on Netflix eons ago oh, it's, right. such a, it's such a banger but i also have to give a shout out to the greatest spotify playlist currently in in, in my rotation right now which is called sufyan christmas without the weird stuff <laughs> god bless it some excellent editing uh hey it's dave with the seven and i've been enjoying bing crosby's mele kalikimaka because it's supposed to be negative five degrees here tomorrow yikes yeah uh, it's horrible that's really cold, Dave. Yeah, it's um, extremely cold. Hold on, I'm just googling the name of this song because Casey Musgraves has an entire Christmas album. Oh, um, oh, don't and, I know it? Yeah, uh, which as a Casey Graves, Casey Musgraves obsessive, really didn't, really didn't flip my switch. But uh, there is one song on it that is on Elisa's Christmas playlist, which is in constant rotation one month every year in our apartment. Um, and I wish I could remember. Maybe it's present without a bow. I don't know. I don't Which know. Month? A present without a bow. Yeah, I know. I, know I don't know. what. I'm just, that's just the first one that came up. It has Leon Bridges on it. It sounds like something I'd like. Uh, what, what was the other song I was going to name? Oh, I was just going to give a shout out to... The Cigarose Parentheses album, which is what I tend to associate with driving around the suburbs of Connecticut in the dead of winter when I was in high school. Um, and just exploring the random, the fun environs of uh, Westchester and thereabouts. Anyway, just like the soundtrack of the time of year. I'm David, by the way, the other one. <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 420. Yeah, it is. It's Pandemic 150. Did we just, are we finally done with our um, lined up pandemic episode numbers? You know what I mean? Like the numbers have been kind of echoed each other for weeks and weeks and weeks, and now they don't anymore. I mean, the only thing that sets us off is when we skip a week because the pandemic weeks continue on and the episodes <laughs> yeah. are by episode. <laughs> Uh, isn't that the way? Okay, it's the week of Wednesday, December 21st. Uh, that's the week that in 1937, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs premiered. Well, the original yeah. uh, James Cameron holiday season opening weekend belonged to Walt Disney, am I right? Well, wow. I mean, it was a debut of new technology through a breakthrough See? motion picture. Is that a, is that like in rotation for your kids, Katie? Do you watch what? Snow Titanic? White? No. Oh, Snow White, no. I don't think we've ever watched it, actually. I mean, I, I have no reason not to watch it. We've been watching uh, Ralph feel... Breaks the Internet, in which Ralph Slightly ends the different. movie in a giant Snow White costume. Oh, dear. Wow. Snow White what is in Ralph Breaks the Internet. Culturally relevant. Ralph, culturally Ralph was relevant really paving, paving the way for Elon Musk, right? The OG. 
For for Snow White for breaking the internet. What are we talking about here? For, oh, just for breaking the internet. <laughs> for dressing like Snow White. He yeah, Elon exactly. Musk has done it Ralph, again. Ralph took a poll as to whether or not people thought he should break <laughs> it anymore, and uh, even though we voted <laughs> no, he continued to break it. Like his word. Uh, Ralph breaks the internet. Good movie. Um. Anyway, I hear we might have some emails to discuss. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Just cutting out the reviews. I mean, I don't know how Los <laughs> Angela Cat is going to feel about that. Oh my goodness. Twist, well, yeah. we have a review. Yeah, they took All the right, time. Let's, let's do the reviews first. Uh, and this is a review that I might need some help decoding. Uh, but it is a review nonetheless. Los Angela Cat says, in light of the picture accompanying the L dot dot dot, I'm assuming that means lo- it's going to be short for logo. Um, Harper is David. Ethan is Dave Seven. Cameron is Patches and Daphne is Katie. Whoa. Hey. What's that supposed to say about us? I don't know. I guess I do exude the listeners to decide. more Aubrey Plaza energy than anyone else on this podcast. It's a low bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um suppose that's accurate. I I mean I I'm I'm all for uh, casting us in White Lotus seasons. I feel like no yeah. one gets off completely scot free. I would love to be literally cast in uh, a season of the White Lotus. I mean, I'm probably a yeah, terrible, up. terrible actor, and it would be my nightmare to have my face on HBOs across the world. But uh, probably be a pretty good gig. Send me somewhere pretty. Be yeah. paid for it. Uh, all right, we have two emails. This one is from Dr. Dark, who is currently living like in Dr. Central Dark? NY. Dr. Dark, yeah. Well, it's D.R. So. Mm, mm, mm. Better go with that. Mm. It signs at Central New York, parentheses for now, and is a response to last week's lightning round question in honor of Avatar The Way of the Water. What is your favorite aquatic piece in movies? He says, I'm disappointed that nobody mentioned the sharks with their own 12-step program in Finding Nemo. The first time I saw the movie, mm-hmm. I wondered how Marlon was going to get out, of being ca- get out of being captured by the sharks, only to have them convene a meeting where they solemnly pledged fish are friends, not food. And proceeded to do a hilariously spot-on but perfectly sincere version of the AAGAOANA meeting, discussing why they <laughs> felt their addiction to eating other fish had damaged their lives and why they had taken back control and stopped doing it. It's kind of brilliant how they could both satirize and respect recovering addicts at the same time. I was stunned to read David Ehrlich's so rare, very positive, very positive review of Avatar: The Way of Water and IndieWire, and look forward to next week's show, which is this week's show. Yeah. Uh. Avatar the Way of Water. It's the topic. Oh, uh, hail Pycon. This is from <laughs> uh, Christy. She slash her. I absolutely love the podcast. I've been listening for quite a few years, but I'm really only emailing to say three things. One, Katie is a legend. Two, this yes. is a great podcast. And finally, three, I know that talking about your Spotify wrapped isn't considered very cool, but in 2022, you were my most listened to podcast. Wow. I've- at first, hey. it was a nice piece of knowledge to have in my brain, but then Spotify informed me I'd spent over 15,000 minutes listening to Fitware in 2022, and they helpfully added that this is roughly 3% of the entire calendar year. I'm ashamed and proud <laughs> in equal measure, but thought it definitely meant I could email to say how much I appreciated your work recording, prepping, and editing this podcast on top of all of your other life commitments. You have one very happy listener on a tiny island off the south coast, southeast coast of England. 
Thank you all and have a great 2023. I'll be sticking around for whatever you decide to discuss. Wait, did they specify which tiny island it is that they are? Yeah, I want to look up this island. Nope, a tiny island off the southeast coast of England. Where's Jersey wow. Island? I, thought... I, I once spent a week on Jersey Island with my dad on a business trip when I was a kid. Uh, wow. And have have very strong memories of it, some of which may have been incepted from watching the movie The Others, which takes place on a Jersey <laughs> Island-like uh, island. There's an island called Isle of Wight, which I oh, know sure, about yeah. from a, a Beatles song. Uh, I'm not seeing any. Well, I don't, it's kind of a big island, though. So maybe she's on a tinier island. I don't know. This is fascinating now. But when uh, all right, just my, a general general note, geography is not when you leave us a review, please specify which tiny island you're on <laughs> in the future. <laughs> and if it's Manhattan, we don't count yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, you could leave us reviews in the Apple Podcast app where we encourage you to leave us uh, five stars, but David will read it on the podcast anyway. And if you are international, uh, like one of our two emails, you could email us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. You the cooling man, you send you up. Freezing cooling, nine and nine twos up. All right. All right, guys, a wise Navi man once said, Sully's stick together. So it's this podcast. <laughs> for now. Is he really a Navi man? I want to nitpick That's a, a great little question. bit. Uh, what a, not, we'll get there. Uh, well, we should actually yeah. get there because I feel like it, that's part of a, a bigger conversation that's occurring right oh now. Oh, my God. We'll we have so many conversations uh, ahead there's of us. There's so Lord. many conversations ahead of us when we're going to talk about Avatar, The Way of Water, our full spoiler conversation. This movie's out if you haven't seen it yet. Get your ass there. I think it's probably worth it. I think we'll all say on some level, even if we don't like it very much, uh, it's worth seeing in theaters if you can. Um, you know, this this movie has been 13 years in the making. We actually haven't been podcasting that long. Amazingly, Avatar, no. <laughs> come out in 2009, predates the podcast by about a year. Um, yep. Miraculously, there is a movie we never talked about in, in Ernest, <laughs> and it would be Avatar. Um, we talked a little about it in the re-release earlier this year. Uh, Katie, you took your, your small child to it. And he was sure did. Um, but now, now we're going to talk about the, the long awaited sequel, which was supposed to happen like seven years ago, five years ago, three years ago. No. It took James Cameron a long effing time to, uh, to make this movie and not just make this movie, but to, I mean, this story has been told many times, but he, you know, he didn't want to make just one more Avatar movie. He wanted to make at least two, maybe four more Avatar movies. It's unclear what we'll actually get when the dust settles at the box office with Avatar The Way of Water. Um, but he's, we're definitely getting one more because when he set out to make this movie, he assembled a writer's room that included like the screenwriters of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. He got uh, Friedman, Josh Friedman, who did Terminate, the Terminator show that Dave, I know you love, uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, yeah. Josh also wrote uh, War of the Worlds. Uh, I think there are one or two other people in that writer's room, but they they kind of broke story. They were telling a judge, you didn't want to just do one-off movies. This is probably what the Star Wars sequel trilogy should have done, like come up with a whole cohesive narrative for the whole, all the films they wanted to make think? in the you beginning. Think that would have been a good idea? Uh, yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> then again, I kind of want to see the Rise of Skywalker version of Avatar uh, sometime in the wow. future. I just <sighs> want it all to implode in a 
in a, save in it a for mist, five it just be blown away by the lore um but no he sh- ended up shooting avatar two and three kind of back-to-back big reason is this movie doesn't just bring back jake sully sam worthington doesn't just bring back Natiri, zoe saldana there's a whole bunch of kids in the movie too and that that could mean Good things or could mean death. I uh, can't wait to hear Kate, Katie's reaction to the kids <laughs> in this movie. So many things to talk about. But yeah, we're going to be growing up with the uh, the Sully family over over many, many movies. And The Way of the Water, Way of Water. Was, the Way of Water, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. You can't keep that doing that. Down. No, no. That's, the, <laughs> that's a copy edit on my phone. Uh, you won't find on Polygon, I promise. Um, it, this movie isn't just like sequelizing a long-awaited sequel. It's the beginning of something bigger. Can it set avatar on the on the right foot to be a franchise it never has really been that even if avatar spawned a giant theme park at disney it spawned cirque du soleil shows there's comic books uh it's it's a it's a multimedia property on some level but it's it's not star wars it's not the marvel mega franchise these this is not a franchise until until now with the way of water so there's a lot of questions going on here from the the small to the big and i want to lead you guys through it because we're going to spend the whole episode talking very spoilery and open about this, but instead of just unloading thoughts, um, I, I, I want to kind of take us on a journey here. But to, to start, let's unload some thoughts, which is I want to <laughs> know what you expected going into this movie. Because I, if I recall correctly, David, you were, you were thinking about the original Avatar, not being very impressed, perhaps, by the original Avatar, at least looking back. You were not excited to see this movie um that's what, what that's everyone... not how i would put it i i was okay, excited well, you, I was very... you, put it, you put it better what it's did you on expect? tape people can listen yeah, to I, us i mean i think i was very in like excited. a day before the yes, screening uh, we were we were anxious though anxious, we were excited were anxious. but anxious i was yeah. very i that's exactly I what it was i was very excited okay. um because it's a new james cameron movie uh less excited because it was a new avatar movie um but it's funny imagining like james cameron because you know, what else would he do i mean there have been rumors that he's gonna like a Terminator movie, but you're saying, you know, oh, he's committing to this franchise. He's going to go back into the waters of Pandora for for another few movies. It's like, he's not going to come back and just do like a, a one for them, one for me, like $20 million romantic <laughs> drama on Hulu. Like, Man has been to the bottom of the ocean. He he's seen too much. truly the only filmmaker alive who cannot downshift to a lower gear. Um, he, he just has to sort of go bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that's exactly what Avatar The Way of Water is. Uh, but, um, I don't know. I'm not inspired to monologue at the moment, much to all of our listeners. Well, like great joy, but he's said, he has said that like, he feels like he could make any story he would want to tell within the world of Pandora. And before the movie came out, I was like, really? Like, I guess so. Cause it's this whole world you're literally in charge of. But after seeing the way of water and the way that it kind of expands the world, it expands the, the themes and the storytelling. I kind of believe well, it. Like, I really think he could do pretty much whatever he wanted and set it on Pandora Katie, and make it a great movie. I'm really glad you touched on that because that actually does that, that. That gets me to my main overall takeaway from this movie, which is I think my my anxiety about the movie was struggling to believe that I could actually care about any of these characters or believe mm-hmm. enough in the emotionality of their world. And um, yeah, I was I loved the the James Cameron action filmmaking in the original and the world building is fun. But at the end of the day, I never really got past the giant blue alien colonial Pocahontas shit. So um, it all seemed very basic to me relative to basically everything else that he had made. Um, and I think the great coup of this movie and why I was so high on it was because in addition to all the stuff that you expect from a James Cameron movie, um, even a sequel to Avatar, I mean, the action is enormous and crystal clear and just, you know, on a scale that most 
almost everyone else in Hollywood can't really even begin to fathom. Um, and it looks amazing and it's paced like an absolute motherfucker. I mean, like no one knows how to put together an old fashioned steroidal muscular blockbuster like James Cameron that is just arresting on your lizard brain level for the whole family. Uh, but, uh, I like, I think the technology is a big part of it. In addition to the kind of story he wanted to tell now that the bedrock had been put down in the previous movie, but like. I cared about these characters almost instantly in a way that I never did in the previous movie when they were all wrapped up in such a basic storyline. And that emotionality is a make or break thing for this movie. And I think they knew to some degree that they had captured it because the movie and the rest of the series ostensibly is going to teeter in that direction where like you really need to care in a nuanced human way um, about these characters. And you have to give a shit that Sam Worthington has sons, one of whom is very disposable, the rest of whom are stupid, and also an incredible adopted <laughs> and daughter. They look ex- yeah. And they look exactly alike, the sons, yeah. which is, uh, like you- I mean, it's Watch out, fine. Canceled for that shit. <laughs> yeah, not all Navi look alike. Well, not all blue people. Like, you barely register Jesus. that he has that second son until he dies, so, and it's like obviously blue-shirted, you know, like it's... What? Like, Natayem? Like, like, <laughs> you're you slandering Natayem yeah, after the, he dies? I mean, he's, he's, he, not he's, marked, he's marked for death because he's boring, and you're like, mm, a little they can't keep him right. Yeah, and meanwhile, you know, the there there's like the daughter is just like the really young daughter is just cute and the slightly older adopted daughter is the single coolest character this franchise has ever come up with. So uh, yeah. more, more, more teenage characters in movies should sound like seventy year old women <laughs> with, with no changes. But anyway, end of end of my spiel is like yeah, I, I I I this wasn't like Titanic for me. I wasn't like you know right. ride or die for it. But I did find myself emotionally invested in the journey. I believed in the bonds of family that they were forming. It's all very goofy and silly, but in a way that, that works broadly enough that I believe that they can like they can pull it off. I'm actually excited to see the next one. When this movie ended and made it clear that uh Kiri Kira Kiri? Kiri is going to be sort of the main thrust, even as obvious as her parent like parental lineage seems. Um, you know, mystery aside, just the fact that she's gonna be front and center in the future of these movies, like I'm in. She'll be commanding armies of plankton to fight yeah. humans uh, with her super X-Men powers. Yeah. Does that happen uh, in Aquaman? Like, or is this an original? I wasn't sure if this was yeah, Aquaman the, uh, can command there. the, the he ocean. Can yeah. man, he can command plankton? Aquaman the, found he can get dead the orcas in a to sand fight. dune after this Maybe movie. Aquaman. If J- Jason Momoa <laughs> would be good in an Avatar movie, I want to be clear. Like, I could absolutely... <laughs> Big, <laughs> I'd support that. Got the hair for uh, it. Yeah. Katie, Dave, what do you, what do you guys think? Were you were you anxious going into this? Were you? I don't know. How are you? How are you feeling? I mean, Maybe the better question is like, how? Katie, I know you especially are a big Titanic fan, um, but I don't really know. That's right. Like, more than David, I want that to be on the record. <laughs> what? I will fight you on the bow of the ship. I've been thinking about Cameron and being like, what does he get? Right. Like a lot of his stories are big and obvious. The whole joke about Titanic was, we know the boat sinks. Why would you even go? see this movie so like what does he do really well like why was half the internet being like avatar is culturally relevant and the other half being like you never bet against cameron i don't think you don't bet against him because he has magic powers that produce box office results he does something right well it's the two things that it's the two things working in concert that david was talking about it's this like crystal clear action that like you know exactly what the stakes are you know who is doing what and what they need and you go into these moments and it's completely clear to you from the beginning to end what matters there. And what leads up to that is the 
really, really, really direct storytelling, which is there in Titanic, too. Like, Titanic's script is no, like, great triumph of subtlety, but it hammers it into you and it makes you care about these people. It, like, it managed to be kind of, like, obvious without making you feel stupid. It makes you feel engaged with it from the very beginning. And exactly what David was saying, like, with these new characters is introducing, I guess because it, like... It's less caught up in the human world. It's less caught up in the exposition that the first movie had. So it just kind of absorbs you in with these like funny, interesting kids, um, but doesn't lose sight of the parents of Jake and Natiri, who are kind of like much more secondary to the action this time because their kids are doing the action. But when it returns to them, it's like it's about the real feelings of like having your kids grow up and having your kids separated from you. And Jake is struggling like not to be like a domineering Marines dad, but like, I don't know, maybe more like a Navi dad. Like there's just character that matters to it and all of it dovetails to lead into the action especially in that last hour that like i said like it's not just that it's cool action to watch is that it matters so deeply to it on an emotional level i don't think anyone does that the way that cameron does yeah they uh you know speaking about you know, there's plenty of exposition in this movie but there is very little hand-holding for people who have not recently rewatched the original it's like this movie is five minutes old before we're on like blue alien date night uh, there's like <laughs> there is there's no primer there's no recap uh he's just like, well actually, the weird so- thing is no there is a recap but and i only found this out because i've been going on my expanded universe journey into avatar recently and I, i've read the comics that they recently published that adapt a screenplay that cameron chucked out so there's this whole movie that he was going to make the high ground uh that was about jake and natiri and that humans arriving for the first time and then like going up into space and fighting them in space uh, and it sounded cool, but I think he chucked the whole thing out because it's like, let's get them back onto Pandora and do the water shit. What he really, really wants to do. He doesn't want to spend a whole movie waiting to get to the water. Um, but then in this beginning of this movie, we get a whole recap of it. We get like, remember when the humans returned to Earth? No, that didn't even happen in the first movie. You're just recapping something that has never happened. I love hey, it. Like, the humans like, returned no, to the no. Earth absolutely happened in the first movie. What? No, it did not. Yes, it did. They come yes, it did. They, that, that exact shot yeah, they, they show of all the humans leaving really, is in the first movie. I mean, if, what are you if, talking if, about? At the very of end of the movie? Yes. At the very end, wow. where like Giovanni oh, Ribisi like, like leaves off. Earth. Yeah. Yes, patches, and they really only have that shot, which does, I suppose, count as a recap of sorts in order to lay the groundwork for oh boy, deep breath, spider. Uh, <laughs> hey, we love spider. Hey, all right, look, but this is gonna be a pro spider podcast. And spider, a spider, spider is the personification of you know. There's so many different strands of James Cameron goofiness, but spider is definitely personification of one kind of them. I mean, he's essentially Newt 2.0. Although maybe Edward Furlong was Newt 2.0. I mean, like he's there are so mm. many spiders in the James Cameron cinematic universe. I compared him to uh, Billy Zane and people got really mad at me what? Um, because it was insulting to Billy Zane to compare him to Spider. Because <laughs> it was insulting to Billy Zane. I had a lot uh, of questions about... It's just like a really big, obvious bro character. I don't know. It makes sense to me. Okay, sorry. I, I had a lot of questions about how he came about his name on considering he has no memories of planets with spiders on them. But th- that's one of many <laughs> language-based questions. He was nicknamed by the human. Come on. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, the That's human true. scientist is there around. Well, maybe decided to like name him Spider on all fours. There you then, go. Yeah, no, you no. could have named him lots. Of, I mean, I guess like you could have. You know, we already learned uh, with Indiana Jones franchise, can't name kids mutt anymore. So yeah, that doesn't work <laughs> <Man>. out. <laughs> We're really losing the war on mutt. Can't even name a kid <laughs> yeah, mutt I guess anymore. To to loop uh, loop back around. I was expecting uh, the absolute floor of my expectations 
was something sort of like Gemini Man, where it's fun to watch, but ultimately I sort of have to shrug it off, shrug it off at the end for not like executing. But I will yes and everybody else that the story telling works in this movie, whether or not the story's specifically working for me. Like trying to describe this movie to Java, who didn't see it, um, she, like I went about halfway through the movie, and she's like, "This all sounds stupid and made up," and I'm like, "It is, it is, of course." But it's like made up. that's, yeah, but it's like that. All, that Did also she think the is part of the original Avatar really happened. No, no, she really dislikes <laughs> the original Avatar for it's like uh, pulling from very specific indigenous na- uh, narratives, for sure. which I think this one uh, bypasses by you know going to the water tribe or it just bypasses my understanding of native culture. Uh, I'm sure I don't it's being... believe there are any native ocean dwelling human populations, but uh, Black Panther well, I mean, had an it, argument in favor of it. So who knows? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's like, you know, Polynesian native yeah. tribes sure, that are sure, close sure. to what I'm seeing here, but it's just, you know, new to me. What I was, I think mostly surprised about is I was a little worried about the length because it's a lengthy movie and even cool things uh, can get tiring after three hours. Uh, but instantly it's sort of like my animation brain clicked in where it's like all of this is the result of an artist's touch, whether or not it's James Cameron's storytelling or some new code about how the underside of water you know, acts as the reflective surface. And mm, so that was even cool. even during that like second hour, uh, my awe wasn't like, ooh, big thing in the water, which actually scares the shit out of me. I hate dinosaur sized things underwater. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Like, why uh, that? Because I don't Scary, know. I've, man? Yeah, I've got a, a, a weird fear about it. That brought, like brought you're scared of going in the real ocean and being encountered by a whale or something. Yeah, a whale or a shark or a dinosaur. I know dinosaurs don't exist in the ocean, but. Anymore. The, you know what you know what movie triggers that fear is uh wave water when there's this like bass with a shark's mouth three-pointed mm. shark's mouth so don't there were like times, it there were times like that where i'd just be sort of gripped in how real it all felt despite it being uh not and then there were times i was just basking sort of in the beauty of it uh much like uh kiri kiri and i have that in common where i'm like yes mm-hmm. let's spend more time looking at this how the sand moves underwater I thank you very that. much i love that I scene love i'm like that. yes thank you for for acknowledging those of us who just like went on beach trips just... went directly into the ocean and did not come out for eight hours because we were just like what if my feet touch sand <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i felt very sad yeah it was it was uh i think it's such a technological achievement and i do think i had forgotten how much the first avatar was also that because you know for a long time the only way to watch it was in in 2d somehow so yeah i'm happy i got to have that experience unlike something like i don't know uh, a hobbit an unexpected journey where i just have like one tainted viewing of that in my mind I think this uh, ended up being a really unique experience. I, how I did you? How did you see the movie? How did everybody see the movie? Because I don't know if you, Dave and Katie, saw this in high frame rate or not, or pristine 3D, or like, what? How were you seeing the movie? Were you seeing 2D? Uh, I have seen it twice. I went to Holy the shit. press screening, and then I went again to take Charlie, uh, who, as we said, I took to. Oh, see Charlie's the... seen it. 
Yeah, how did your six-year-old, seven-year-old, six-year-old? Six and a half. How did a six-year-old do with this one? Sidebar. He, you know, wiggled some. At one point, he told me it was the most violent movie he'd ever seen. And I was like, oh, God. That's probably true. (laughs) Is it more violent than the first Avatar? I guess it is. I mean, at some point, clone Orich takes picks up his own skull and crushes it. I mean, that's um, just Hamlet. I mean, come on. Um, Shakespeare's violent too. Like, yeah. As as we got toward the end, and he was sitting on my lap, and I'm watching uh, everyone follow Curious floating fish out of the sinking ship, and I was like, Charlie, this is the part that makes me cry. And he was like, I kind of feel that feeling. So wow. I think he. Uh, I yeah, think I guess he got that's the, the other thing. They kill too. a kid. Not many movies kill kids. But. No, although I feel like they read pretty teenage, you know, like I don't, they, those older kids especially. Um, yeah, they, but that's not the part that makes it's I, totally okay if they die. Yeah, you could, you could lean mean, over to Charlie and be like, I you mean, have at least of, 10 years yeah, before you're yeah. killed. Place yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we like, we talked about the emotion of it some, like that part got me way more than I expected it to because I didn't even know that kid's name, but like, I think Zoe Saldana's performance really sells a lot of just the anguish there. I think she's really good in both of these movies. Um, but it's the parent, it's the kids saving the parents at the end that just gets me both times that I've seen it. Just the idea of like a generational handoff and not like the kids have learned from each other, from their parents and now know how to handle it. Like they've learned something completely different from what their parents know how to do. Um, and I find that really, really moving. And like I was saying, like it leads into the action. So you're suspenseful about everyone getting out of the ocean and then also moved by what these characters have learned, it's glorious. Yeah, there's so many, I think, specific things that have to happen in the movie in order for the climax to work as efficiently as it did, because as Katie was saying earlier about like the action, you always know what's going on and what's at stake, and it's not like, I don't know, an Iron Man 2 where it's like, and here at the climax, my new pow- my suit's new power, you know? Everything's mm-hmm. been... Even the, uh, like, I I see it as repetition, but now I realize it's necessary repetition of uh, slap braceleting kids to the uh, the ship in two different instances. Just about, like, how immovable that is and how different it is to be uh, cuffed to an outside deck versus a moon pool deck. It's all these tiny things, or a spider being a human and therefore, you know, not being able to breathe the air, but that also means he has a little bit of advantage once the water starts coming in. I mean, imagine yeah. that uh, just your all... whole life in a fucking mask. Like, poor spider. Uh, uh, are we getting anti-mask here? Jesus, damn. Yeah. I thought like, you supported like, could, uh, masking like, for public someone health. Someone could just knock that off of him and boom, no more spider. Yeah, seem... well, he also looks, you know, he looks very fragile in comparison to mm-hmm. all the Navi. Yeah, uh, I was getting worried around. about him like jumping around the trees. I mean, I like, suppose he's on that very, greatly in optics. Step he down. He's a very ripped 14 year old, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> yes. I feel like we said we were going to defend Spider and then we kind of got off topic. We're, um, we're lovingly living Spider. We do second, love Spider. Second viewing really brought me around on Spider. Like, I feel like a, really? his character like clicked for me more than he had. Because, like, the arc with him in court, like I didn't really know where that was headed the first time I see it. And of course, like the, he has this great act of mercy and saves his life at, life at the end of it. And I think watching that relationship develop because like it cross cuts between like Jake and all the people in these awesome oceans. You're like, shit, why are we going back to Quaritch? But oh, I no, think watching I... Spider like meet his. Oh, go on. I, I mean, I think I think watching Spider meet his dad for the first time like has power to it that but again exactly. leads you up until this. Yeah. 
Well, uh, we'll get there. And that was Colonel Quaritch, and and this guy is Clonal Quaritch. Oh, boy. I'm trying to make that happen. After you are born into, like, a society that's half human, half Navi, wouldn't that be the ideal father in some weird world? Ooh, interesting. I will say that one of my... One of my favorite things about this movie was, you know, the idea of going back to Quaritch. I loved how they cross-cut between Quaritch sort of learning the ways of the Navi and then our Navi heroes learning the ways of the sea people at the same time. Like, they're both fish out of mm-hmm. water to a degree. Um, and I think that that helped bring the heroes and villains onto a level playing field um, and in really interesting ways that will continue to play off, play out throughout the future of the franchise. Yeah, it makes you interested in, like, Quartz, like, kind of going native in his own way. Because, like, he's not, like, the movie doesn't really go down that path at all. But you see there's a potential for, a, you know, for the second movie of, oh, like, uh, dealing with his feelings about this world. which for sure. Is and one, of my favorite, one of my favorite stretches of the movie is actually the kind of echoed training se- sessions of the first movie. Yeah, that's what David Sully. was just saying. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then as a, yeah, I, I, I was, I had no idea going into the movie how they brought back Quaritch. And was shocked and uh, and like uh, it's so hand wavy. I liked it. It's like, hey, we downloaded everyone's consciousness on uh, on chips. They just, they we, bring Giovanni Ribisi back literally to hand wave. Just, just be like, man, nah, nah, just get the game going. Yeah. No one no one cared about the scientists though. <laughs> Doctor Grace Augustine, she's fucking dead. Uh, and and maybe well, in a coma, also, like in an avatar body in a tank over there, but. Oh. Also, Jake's brother, the whole reason Jake got to be part of the Avatar program was because his brother died, and they're like, well, we have this genetic Avatar that we need it for. If they could just back him up. him. No, they yeah, didn't we didn't him. This yeah, is that, why you need Time Machine installed on your Mac. You gotta, you gotta be backing it up, even when you're this not thinking about it. Back up all but, your employees. You know, every time, There's an Edie Falco backup somewhere oh God, for that, waiting yeah. for part four. Edie Falco. I mean, Edie I assume Falco. that she shows up in the next one. She's incredible. Drinking her, coffee like, with her ex. Oh, my God. But, they love you know, drinking coffee in these talk movies. talk about uh, <laughs> colonialism around this movie. You're talking about going native. And um, and obviously the colonial, they're not even undertones there. You know, it's, it's, it's what the story continues to be about in some ways. But one of the tensions I find in this movie that is new to this installment, I did, you know, it's, it's, who couldn't say this about the previous one is that I feel like James Cameron doesn't give a shit about the colonialism aspect of it. It is just a means to an end for him to focus on the environment and tell a story about like, mm. you know, humans coming in and respecting a natural environment and, you know, creating a sort of yeah. awe for nature and the oceans and trying to, I mean, this entire franchise, you know, on some level, I mean, obviously there are other things that get him off that he's doing here um, is about, just just like becoming this particle accelerator for compassion concern for our environment for the oceans in particular and and i do feel like he was sort of bit off maybe a little bit more than he could chew or gotten a slightly stickier wicket than he imagined loading so much of that onto the vehicle of colonialism like typical colonialist narratives uh because now i feel like he is fighting the way to disentangle the avatar story from those tropes but and not but actually, I mean, like the, the the and the way he's doing that is by making the story more complicated and weirder in ways that can't perfectly track to colonialism as we know it on Earth. Well, it's not even weirder. <laughs> it's just by expanding. I was thinking about this a little like the jump from Avatar to Way of Water kind of reminds me of the jump from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone to Prisoner of Azkaban, or something where it's like we need them. You know, the the it took. 
there was so much criticism against the movie about being shallow or being basic. And it had to be on some level. And it was all Jake Sully. The whole movie is Jake Sully's journey. And here it's true ensemble. Like we are starting a bigger mm-hmm. story where we can go in so many different directions. And I've, I've talked to people who were not too happy with how it concludes. Like we didn't get closure about Nate Thierry, uh slashing spider and like the tension what? between them. I'm like, of course we didn't get closure. She had to, bury her dead son and then there's two to three more movies like these stories will continue to play out but I, by expanding the the story I, I was going to ask you guys and i want to deep dive on some of the characters but i thought sam worthington was great in this movie and that we got the perfect amount of jake sully in this movie like his character is better because we have less of him i i think mm-hmm. and and to your point david we get away from some of the the kind of archetype and maybe negative stereotypes that the first movie accidentally or purposefully indulges in um, just by expanding to the next generation, by by diminishing Jake Sully's role, even while it is still his story, right? It's him being really angry and waging war against humans when the Na'vi aren't supposed to wage war at all. Like the end of the movie still ends Who with his Who says the eyes. Na'vi aren't supposed to wage war at all? They don't wage war. That's it's just, really, they, it's just the hunters. whales. That's the, no. that's the whales. No, the whales don't the wage war. This is the whole Navi thing. They don't wage war. They don't fight. No one wants to fight. That's why none of the reef people are fighting. They don't fight. No one fights. This is a whole okay. human marines thing. And like, Jake is kind of leading them to battle because he knows that if they don't kill all the humans, they will never, it'll never stop. Which is why I'm excited for Avatar 5, which I hope is like a Earth invasion movie. I hope it's like a backward uh, alien invasion <laughs> movie, but the Navi oh, are man. just like flying spaceships into Earth. That'd be great. Um, that would be so cool. But yeah, I mean, what what do you make of Jake and Natiri in this movie? We've touched on it a little bit, but is 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 Jake Sully redeemed? I feel like he took a lot of flack in the first movie, but I thought his dad shit was engrossing and while repetitive, I feel like he was scolding his kids like every other scene, being like, "I'm gonna pull you aside. Hey, never do that shit. Cut that out." Um, I love it when still, he says like, something with a knot in your tail, which is something that human parents say. <laughs> but when you say it to your Navi kids, they have actual tails. I parents like in the room, did you respond to uh, the parenting in this movie? I would not say that is my parenting style. I don't oh, like. No. I don't have children old enough, nor do I have like the sense of being like, no, you have to like toughen up. I mean, he says at one point like a father's job is to protect, and like I think the movie wants it to be like, bro, oh, there's there's more to it than that. Um, but you know, he's affectionate too. Like the, I think the relationship that Kiri has with her parents is really interesting where she's this weird spacey, like earth mother, literally creature. Um, but they really like try to talk to her and understand that part of her. Um, I mean, there's like, I, I, I related to it less as a parent and watching myself with my kids and more just kind of like the broader themes of building the world that you want your kids to live in. Yeah. I think by diversifying the amount of characters, uh, it does sort of help out of the base narratives uh, because Jake is still, I, I mean, I'm not going to say trap because he does a lot in it, but it's still like the, the protective father role is his place in this particular puzzle and his realization that he needs to move beyond that is sort of, I think, where the movie leads him to at the end. Um, and he, he, they do that through the arc of each of the children, except I guess the oldest one and the youngest one who kind of, uh, are, are Tuck. less important at the moment. Took. 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 Is it Took or Tuck? Took. 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 I know it's Love definitely Took when I hear Took being said out loud. I'm, I'm looking forward to Took's future, 
that she's yeah. got some 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 interesting things in front of her. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, there's usually the the I think indigenous narratives that camera is running up against uh, don't go into the part two uh, because that's where it either, you know, has to get real and sad or, you know, kind of make its own its own uh, push. But this sort of idea that what happens to the, you know, supposedly star crossed lovers of different, you know, cultures and races uh, in from the first movie after you have give them like 14 years and they have to raise children who are sort of exist outside of either culture. And so they have to, you know, form their own little bubble. Uh, I think I think it's interesting. I really wonder how the or more whole, interesting the, than the first the one. DNA of this all works. This is a this is a micro note, but when they really start yeah. analyzing the kids' bodies, they're like, "You have the fingers of a of a human," and I'm like, <laughs> "Wait a second. So Jake's mind was implanted in the avatar, and Awa and the Tree of Souls made him Navi. So I guess he's got he can like procreate." But I think the avatar bodies, Navi. the but body the avatar was... bodies were still like part human. That's why yeah, they, they were made with them. the human DNA, and so the kids are like a new horse. Patches, have you thing. seen Avatar? Is, is he like jizzing? Jizzing like a baby, <laughs> or what's the, what's happening here? I know uh, how it works, but I I'm mean, like, there, I don't know is, how it works the, after the whole bonding of the soul uh, and body. Yeah, apparently there's some DNA, you know. Uh, actually, that's an interesting point, Patches. Thank Ooh. you. Thank no, you. Don't, wow. don't give him credit. Well, because if they're <laughs> I'm if talking bio-digital jizz, man. If you, if, <laughs> if, you, if you require two sets of DNA, that makes Kiri much more interesting than if you are just, you know, adopting uh, random Bond characteristics from your partner. Like, to a certain degree, we should know how they reproduce a little bit more, right? Well, I think that we are we? going to learn a little bit more about, I mean, not necessarily about Navi sex, although <laughs> I think, you know, this movie was We'll all go born. to Pornhub later and learn all about I want that. to Don't continue worry. taking Charlie to these movies. <laughs> yeah. well, I do this. think this movie was hornier than the previous Avatar by a wide margin. Yeah, did Charlie uh, like all the beautiful pregnant bodies in this? I thought it celebrated the female form quite a bit. Uh, you know, I love a movie about pregnant women doing shit. And the part of the movie where Kate Winslet is, they're like, you should stay home from the battle. And she goes, we ride! And like <laughs> grabs her spear over her pregnant belly. I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, Showing I, pregnant women doesn't have to be gross patches. It just can be supportive. Who said it was gross? You were just like, to, I, I don't was know. You're making it celebrate. sound like it was. This movie starts <laughs> with a very casual a aside to an immaculate conception. <laughs> and he just he like, does. Okay. Does. Uh and it's just like just put that in your back pocket for the time being. And Look, it's the Christmas season, David. Yeah. And uh, you know, I it's hard to imagine who Kiri's father would be if not for Awa itself. Um, and it yeah. seems to be the direction where it's going. So I do think that, you know, it's all gonna be mumbo jumbo to a certain degree, but we are gonna learn a lot more about what's going on with all that, what's happening when people connect to the Tree of Souls and whatnot, but uh, as far as, like, pure Avatar fucking is concerned, or Navi fucking, I think, maybe not, but we'll see. 
<laughs> for you and your imagination to sort out what are the what are the teenagers not allowed to do is it like keep the <laughs> keep the, the palm frond cracked open that's when you, when you, you figure go out what is really important to a culture it's like what, what are the teens not allowed to do <laughs> what are the teenagers not allowed to do they're not supposed to go beyond the reef they don't mm -hmm. talk to the uh, the outcast uh tolkien uh tolkien no, no braiding tolkien. no braiding until you're 18 yeah, oh my God. are we gonna talk? Are we gonna talk about Pyacon now? <laughs> yes, Pyacon. The, the war war whale battle oh, I whale. Pyac I love Pyacon so much. That was another uh, that was another second viewing thing where I thought I felt like it really clicked in for me even more so. What um, did you love those whales are just. I just like that whale talks. The first thing he oh. says is it's too painful. Mm -hmm. Like I think the sequences with, with Loak and Pyakon are really beautiful. Like I think um Loak's whole thing being like, I get it, I'm an outcast too. Like maybe it's purposely being like, All right, teen, you're fine. You got parents. That's, that's some emo shit. That's yeah. some emo shit right there. I love there. the scene um, where he just like listen to the promise ring and the get up kids in his room and it was just like ah. parents <laughs> <laughs> don't understand. Um but yeah, I mean the action sequence at the end where Pyakon shows up to like kick the ass of the people. I mean the the cheer when that guy gets his arm ripped off I by mean, the whale cord. Like it's I mean it's a good one renewable resource. It's incredible. In it's wonderful. Um I just feel like it's such a bold swing to be like, yeah, these whales, uh they can talk and people can understand them and they're uh you know they catch up and they have families. Um, and then to make you like heartbroken over this whale hunting sequence, like it just, it's again, like all these little details are laid out so perfectly so that then the action is like the most satisfying you know, thing As much as seen. I enjoyed seeing this in, you know, qualified enjoyment of the uh, high frame rate, which I think is, you know, transcendent in the utter underwater stuff, but, uh, yeah. is not substantially better than it was in the Hobbit movies for the live action stuff, the stuff above water, um, and you're doing a lot of variable frame rate stuff that your brain is constantly clocking where one shot is at 48 frames per second, another is at 24, and you're just like, ah, finally, I can breathe. Or something in the foreground yeah. is in high frame rate and something in the background isn't. Yeah, it's, it's really wild uh, and probably just worth seeing just to know what that's like. But um, I would, as much as I loved the action, you know, I spent three hours and 12 minutes fiddling with this pair of glasses over my pair of glasses, and I am looking forward to watching the movie um in 2d just to appreciate the the choreography of the action and just like the i don't know to sink into it a little bit more um you know, it's obviously gonna be less immersive and i'm so glad that i had the experience of seeing it proper uh you know as the good lord jc intended but you know <laughs> i think that there's definitely the technology's not quite there where or at least you know 48 frame 48 frames per second as a concept is is not ever going to allow me to like fully appreciate everything that's going on the way that you can sort of slow it down and take it in in good old 24 frames uh mm. on a on a similar note i mean maybe this is the time to talk about the high frame rate in a little more depth but um i saw i saw it that way and our, our colleague our, our friend jordan hoffman absolutely abhorred the high frame he's rate a and wrote about he's it a on polygon he hated it, it. Uh, and I, <laughs> I i disagree like i i know i mean i haven't had perfect experiences with it watching the hobbit was not it was not a good one it was weird and video gamey and or like motion smoothing um i had a good time watching gemini man i thought it made the effects look better and i it's just a different kind of experience and i found it to be a pleasure to watch the kind of like hyper realistic moments in this movie in the high frame and have it segue i i don't know the intention i weirdly i talked to the cinematographer of the movie 
uh, last week about it, and he's like, I don't, I couldn't tell you. It was all this kind of like post production choices. <laughs> so even the DP could not tell me like why it's switching back and forth between the frame rates. I have to imagine it has it has to do with when the action needs it. I mean, there's bits of like flying yeah, on it's the, the action doesn't or whatever, blur, right? It seems strange, but yeah, a, a little bit. But I think there's still subdued moments with the Navi that you get the high frame rate stuff too to make their movement more more natural. Um, but it's just it's just a different flavor. It adds to the spectacle of it all. And, and my question for you guys is: I just feel like there's so many movies. Most movies that we see these days are are full of CG backdrops. You know, they can make entire Thor movies in Australia or Black Panther in Atlanta. Um, they just need green screens and, and CG backdrops, but and they often don't achieve all for me. I, I, I'm not really struck by the environment. For Thor: the, Love the and Thunder themselves. didn't call you. <laughs> no, what's the opposite? <laughs> um, but but I'm wondering if this movie this movie did strike me. This movie did feel immersive. This movie had painterly qualities. I, I do wonder what. If if it if it left you awestruck at all, if there's moments in the movie that you can think of now that that felt that big or felt that alive or felt like that brand of Cameron radical filmmaking where he's just doing something totally wild, uh, what what spectacle means to him? Uh, I really the the way he eases you back into what his 3D world is going to be, I think was really uh, noticeable because after. Jake starts voiceovering. Uh, we're pretty quickly in like Natiri hunting in the jungle, which is some of the deepest 3D effects in the entire film in terms of bringing the foreground forward, like at you. Like she's pointing an arrow. There's uh, out of focus vines that sort of are, are in deep in the foreground. And then he does something that I, I also remember being uh, suddenly getting it uh, in the, as a format. Uh, when he cuts in back to space because mm. space in 3D after you've been in sort of like a foreground heavy environment to then switch to the exact opposite which is like infinite depth uh, really sold me and it was when it wasn't specifically based on a character when it was allowed to sort of be physically distant from the subjects of the shot that the high frame rate really started working for me like Show me spaceships landing and torching, you know, large sections of jungle and high Man, frame that, rate. That really scared me. I, all the you know, Charlie, uh, our six-year-old uh, correspondent, said it was the most <laughs> violent movie he's ever seen. I, I just thought this movie was filled with some horrific imagery too. The, the when the when the ships come down and they burn the whole forest, it really feels like deforestation it really feels just like we're destroying the planet his conservation six-year-olds do not impulse. go there no i, I know but i'm talking about response. me now I, I, no i'm talking about me now i'm just like that is horrific or or the whale hunt they were talking about it's kind yeah. of i've talked to a few people where they're like this is the boring part they could have skipped the whole how we hunt whale tokens or whatever oh my uh, god what and and i just <laughs> thought that part was really scary and just sad um and like watching you know, the horrific videos you catch online sometimes of like, here's how we killed a helpless whale. Uh, and I just, I, I thought that was really impactful. I, I was surprised that that all made it in there. It's, it's not all majesty. It's not all action spectacle. It's horrific. Yeah, don't you imagine that the next one will watch the coral reef like dying because oh of uh, man-made environmental impact? Yeah, I mean, it's a... Uh... 
I, I feel like it's meant to be more of an escape than that. If you kind of looking at like what beauty of the world can be rather than making you think about how we're destroying it. But that's probably what James Cameron wants you to think. I mean, yeah, I, there's the men have come up with some new and crazy machinery. And I agree that the whale thing uh, sequence is like maybe so close to, to how things are like hunted on the water for no apparent reason. That's uncomfortable, but the thing that freaked me out the most of design in this movie, as I've maybe alluded to before, are the crab submarines that have oh both hands. Oh my god. They crab like bots. swim and grab. Uh, Terrifying. The submarines are so cool. This is the thing, is like the human tech, like the whale hunting stuff maybe less so, but like those crab submarines and then the ones that like have like a needle nose and they like slide down into the glass in the front of it to get off the ship. And then the whole like um giant ship thing that has a name that i can't think of what it's called um but it makes you marvel at the human tech without making without fetishizing it which i you know I, yeah, the movies you, know, you see this, that work with the, the with the military the big, uh wait, quick david the point the point of these uh ships that the whole sequence at the end where they're chasing the kids oh my god through the plants oh it's almost like an x-wing scene and and a Star Wars movie, except the X-Wing pilots are the bad guys trying to kill uh, kids. <laughs> and it's really intense. I thought it was very clever. Well, I thought we were talking about the ship sinking stuff. Well, yes, I was about to say, no, I'm getting there now. I mean, despite we circling the ship for an hour, and I guess, you know, I'm so immersed in, or in, the, in, the, in the high frame rate shit, and like trying to keep up my eyes, trying to keep up with it and readjust my glasses, that at no point did it occur to me uh, that we were going to drift towards Titanic territory, and it was yeah. only when the boat was, you know, half sinking, and and Kate and you know Rose and Leo were like, you know, gasping for air as the waters rose to the bulkheads that I was like, oh, this is where we are, <laughs> and suddenly I got very nostalgic, and uh, uh, it it only just helped all that stuff work even more for me, um, and sort of hooked me in emotionally because like. Again, you know, we talk so much about the way he stages action, but it's also like nobody is nobody, you know, Tom Cruise is doing stunts of a very different nature and trying to save movie theaters in a very different way. But <laughs> uh, there's, you know, similar to the way he stages action, no one is really doing this kind of stunt the way that James Cameron does, where you really feel like they, even if you're watching, you know, CGI, you know, photo, uh, performance captured aliens, you feel like they actually sank a ship. Uh, and mm -hmm. that uh, the theory is flesh and blood. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier about how the emotionality of this movie, how it worked. I do think that a large part of it is because the skin is so tactile and believable. There used to be more of like a computer generated gloss to it. And now it looks as real and and sort of uh, corporeal as anything else in the world. And I think that makes all the difference to your brain where you just like don't even think like, oh, there's CG. That's unreal. You're just like, that's just a, a it creature. And mm -hmm. I would assume that's also part of the, the enhanced motion capture and the lengths that they went to. One of the, my big questions going into the movie to go all the way back uh, was like, OK, the whole narrative of we're going to make Kate Winslet hold her breath for seven minutes and put all these kids through hell to go do underwater diving and shoot scenes, motion capture underwater in the giant tanks. I felt it like I felt what you're describing like they did build a ship. People were going kind of in and out of real environments, even as the Navi. Uh, and it and it felt like this. It's the combination of better skin technology and and better reflection, maybe, but also it feels more tactile because they're really underwater, uh, suffering. And I think that 
it comes through in the even with all the CG gloss. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean the, yeah, the, the the change in physics is immediate. But I think also what David's talking about is like they've developed uh the technology to sort of get closer to the specific render they want and not lose the performance motion by like a type of AI technology that's sort of like deep faking, but if it learns the subject's face enough and it learns the CG model enough, it's able to uh, do things like stretch and uh, contract pores uh, at like a basic level without having to go in and animate over a performance capture bit of it. So you could mm. get the tiny eye wrinkles uh, that are part of the performance, but also make them more uh, photorealistic, just blue, I guess, just blue. Mm. It's like it the the all the shots of like the daytime half submerged navi and uh or what's the other tribe's name the uh the mechaina yeah mechaina uh, yeah. yeah but the like the differences in like physics between how their limbs move above and below the water and the interactions with the water and how it like soaks into the fabric parts of their costume it's all absolutely insane. Like people coming out of the water and like their outfits dripping. I was like, that's new technology that I've never seen before. Uh, just like at that level of being able to make that. Like they are capturing a performance, but then again, it's almost like a rotoscoping technique. There's another layer of design and artistry over it. That's and whereas uh, I watch it, I'm just like, oh yeah, that whale's real. And it's not, and like my brain yeah. is just not able to fathom what you're talking about. I was going back and forth with a uh, friend of the show, David Sims, about this after the movie. I didn't really put a stake in the ground one way or the other, but I was struggling to sort of understand why this wouldn't be considered an animated movie if Marcel mm -hmm. the Shell is. I mean, and, and this is a matter mm -hmm. of semantics. I think you know, the future of cinema will sort of render this question moot. But in terms of, I don't know, like the fucking Oscars or whatever, or awards bodies. That's how they submit it for yeah, the Oscars, uh, Yeah, right? but like, how is this not an animated movie? Um, it is. It is yeah. an animated movie. There's <laughs> no... I was... In this conversation I alluded to with the, with the DP, I'm like, some of the water stuff looks real. Like, when they're on the beach, did you actually go on, like, the rocks and stuff? No. None of it is real. None of it is real. Yeah. The only human elements are the actual human actors course, and everything yeah. else is And that was CG. all in it's sound incredible. Yeah. Um, there's no real environment shooting on location stuff in the, in the, in the film. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, pretty I mean, the movie was all filmed in the, I mean, I guess the, like the, the ship is real, you know, like the, like there are sets, right? It's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There's yeah, sets. But, but like, um, but yes, it's still, uh, it's still wild. I mean, maybe the sets, I don't know. I, who knows where they draw the line for this sort of thing, but. I mean, they have, we ha they haven't put out a ton of behind the scenes footage yet one just came out today uh called uh, acting in the volume it's up on youtube and from what i could tell like even a lot of the sets were like foam outlines of what was going to exist wow. um so because it's like you you see these people uh, one side of the screen shows them riding their new underwater mount and the other side is just sam worthington sitting on what looks like a foam barrel. That just so. sounds like a lot of fun. 
Maybe we could yeah. be in the movies. We could be in the movies. We could be in White <laughs> Lotus season three if all of the sets are just foam blocks. Just and foam yeah, over like us like after the Blaine Park. Like Theo James, yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> make you look like Loak. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to uh, three, to like we were saying before, uh, mostly because I was a big fan of the We Made Kate Winslet set like an underwater acting breath holding record. I don't think it was for this movie, right? No, it was not. I, and I actually confirmed that, too. Like, there's this picture of her underwater with a giant white cape. Um, oh, that's, right. That's Avatar 3. And yeah. according to the DP, there's more underwater photography in, in Avatar 3. Which yeah, it doesn't excited. feel like... Oh, man. You know, this, the whole thing about this movie is that we're going from the jungles to the oceans, and it's a completely right. new environment. It doesn't feel like we are going to... Uh, you know, the mountains next, or the, the snow right. or the sand out. There feels like, you know, um, as Jake Sully says at the end of this movie, like, we're staying here. Mm-hmm, we're reef people now. Yeah. Yep. Um, but then yeah. again, think- you never know. It could be, we could have a Legend of Zelda situation where we just spend three hours acclimating ourselves to a climate so we could fight the, the boss and move on. You know, sure, we, don't, sure. we don't know for sure. Take me to the volcano. Yeah. How about the uh, the immortality that all these humans are going to be getting uh, now that uh, oh, yeah. the whale brains? Is Giovanni Ribisi going to come back? I mean, immortality yeah. is sort of an underlying theme of the movie. I mean, like so much of it is about, you know, it, it, it's sort of about humans sort of outlasting their natural life cycle, you know, off world, mm. you know, colonizing and destructive the tendencies. galaxy. Right. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, nature is telling them us you know your time is up to die uh and you can right. stretch this out as an analogy for a metaphor for the movies themselves if you really want to go down that road but like you know like you've reached the end of the road and their refusal to acquiesce to that causes so much destruction and chaos throughout the universe um and mm. like that's why i find Horwich's immortality in a way the fact that he's you know just taken up residence in another body so disconcerting uh and, and weird um and i think the movie leans into that in really interesting ways. Yeah, uh, he's on a weird shadow arc. I'm interested to see if he sticks around for the whole thing. I was kind of uh, hoping he'd like blow up and then get reborn in every movie. I'd like, be like, like now I'm the, <laughs> uh, the, the The, like, Tolkien immortality serum, uh, Katie, is the perfect segue, I think, to wrapping up this conversation. But there's just so many little things in this movie, I wonder if, if you all have micro notes. I mean, one of my highlights to, to lead you down this path. I love in the, in the beginning, they pull like a Valkyrie and they're like, all of these people would be talking in the Navi language, but let's segue yeah. from Navi into that. English. And not only that, the line it's they chose so to do it is when the brother is calling the other brother penis face, which means <laughs> we know that there is a Navi phrase. For penis face. I love that. I just, I'm so happy to know. More clues in the how do the Navi actually fuck. Yeah. Uh, big debate. <laughs> right. They have a word for penis. And yet, where are the penis? Uh, I love the kids arguing and uh, yelling at each other in like classic dumb I think kid Spider way. also yeah, calls one of the Marines butthole. God, James point. Cameron's re- vocabulary is just forever, even though he's inventing so many new words for these Avatar movies is also Yo, frozen forever in the 80s. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, for it, 80s culture. It's all, it's all just like, the, you know, and, and it's interesting that he's so critical of the military culture because these movies could be read to some degree as sort of, uh, I guess the bad guy, the, 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 the army is always sort of humiliated as they were in the, the bros were in Aliens. 
Um, but you know, he's still stuck in all the '80s insults of your cupcakes and like your uh, yeah, or it's, uh, what, anything, basically anything that comes out of Stephen Lang's mouth. I think Quaritch says uh, "feeling blue" or something like that. Uh, why so blue? Why so blue? Yeah. That's oh, that's great. There's one part Who where Kiri says to Quaritch, uh, "Don't call me Buttercup, perv," and I'm like, first uh-huh. of all. What language was she speaking? <laughs> Second of all, what does that mean about the applications of those words in her lifetime Navis leading up to pervs? this? I mean, every, every species has pervs. I mean, I, it's also likely that she learned it through, like, the bad influence of Jake Sully on the Navi language, like, introducing all these humanisms. But then they also have the humans that are running around that very conveniently set up a problem for Avatar 3, where they're like, Oh man, if Kiri talks to the life tree again, she could die. Not this movie, don't worry about it, but uh, that, that's coming up in <laughs> the future. She had a stroke. Uh, or an epileptic fit? Was it a stroke? That was intense. I don't know. She was shaking. It was. Yeah, she's got delusions of grandeur, say the dumb humans about Navi biology they don't understand. So, uh, looking forward to that now, happening. If, but yeah. If, as, as, you know, someone, you, who has a brain that tends to work in projecting forward in these franchise stories and figuring out what's coming down the pike. And I tend not to think about that sort of thing. Do you see any other outcome other than, you know, she is a was daughter to one way or the other, or is there, is there any way out of any other way out of that plot thread? Oh, I uh, think there is. I think she could just be like the the recycled consciousness. Like I think that the binary of father and daughter, because I think ultimately what James Cameron is going to like reach for with this Awa mother nature parallel is that like historically it's all part of us, right? Destroying our planet is destroying part of our past. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, not as important that there's a binary other personality uh, as it is just, you know, AWA can pump some some personalities into you because we're yeah. all... Uh, oh, okay. It's it might, not be, it might not be that... It might not be that AWA impregnated Race Augustine. It might be that AWA put itself in Race Augustine. That Kiri is <laughs> AWA. Kiri is AWA. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like and, and then I want her to go full was... Gaia... And just like make the whole planet, she's Mogo the living planet, but as a as a Navi. Yeah. And really, what, what I'm really hoping is that Awa is like connected to all other planets in the universe, so that she can make Earth just like destroy humanity. I do think we need to spend a minute just talking about how fucking cool Sigourney Weaver is as a like 14 year old alien girl in this movie. He's having fun, uh, and like just instant. But I think she's also similar to the skin thing, also key to bridging the gap between. You know, human emotion—the way we tend to register stories—and the Navi world. I mean, she's literally doing that, is sort of on a biological level. But I think that, like, there is a humanity to her—a recognizable humanity, not in the uh, like a positive connotation of the word, but simply in like the of like like us that we recognize implicitly in that character that's absent from Neytiri and then the people born on Pandora. I guess Kiri was born on Pandora, but you know what I mean. Um, and well, don't you think I, that comes from the scenarios that the kids are able to get in? Like, she gets to flirt with Spider. That wouldn't have happened in the in the kind of hero molds of the first movie. There's just lower key stuff that's more yeah. human 
happening in in the script. Now, I also wonder what it was like the day on set when Spider, probably 15, 16-year-old, is doing a kind of romantic flirty scene with Sigourney Weaver. That would have been fun to watch. Uh, but... Yeah. I, mean, I, I think part of why the character leaps off the screen so much, maybe more than the other children, is it is somebody who actually knows how to translate her performance into an Avatar movie. Where the kids, you know, I'm sure are fine actors, but they're just acting with dots on their face with a whole bunch of foam poles. Whereas mm. like Sigourney Weaver has not only done lots of different types of acting and lots of much more ridiculous situations than this, but has been through the Avatar ringer before. And like her first movie character, uh, you know, looked like Sigourney Weaver. And this one just looks like a teenage version. And somehow Sigourney Weaver is able to sort of dial that down and uh, act. I, I would say act through the makeup if it was makeup, but that's the only equivalent that I have is her performance seems to hit a little bit harder uh, than the, the younger kids. I liked Drools. took uh, like the- Patches, you asked how I feel about the kids in this movie. Like, I yeah. think the fact that the kids like still get to be kids and like, I mean, I guess maybe some of them have been on the red carpet, but no one is like tracking them around to a bunch of events. I'm a fan of that. I mean, obviously most of them are like closer to adults at this point. They're all 45. I mean, they get to be kids. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> they get to be kids. Like even spider. I don't know. Like it's, it's, the performances are winning, I think, because they feel natural in some ways. Is there any one of I us like who them. could, from memory, recall Spider, the actor who plays Spider's name? Oh, Jack Champion. J- Jack okay. Champion. Well, then I guess it's everyone but me. <laughs> you picked I the mean, one with the guy with the last name's Champion. I know. Uh, I don't know who plays any of the other characters. That help? Sure. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver. Hey! Uh, are you guys going to go see it again? Definitely. Uh, I have to. I'd like to. I can't wait. In a perfect world. I don't world, have specific plans, but I'd like to. Sure, but I, I, there's an almost 0% chance of that happening, because in all likelihood, I will stay home and watch Asa and have Elisa go see it, rather than us both mm. go and get a babysitter. So. I will say, though, the five-hour uh, Avatar double bill before Avatar 3 comes out is sounding much more doable uh, to me than it probably would have before I saw the movie. Yeah, I would, I would do Avatar that, marathon. honestly. Yeah. My biggest disappointment in this is that apparently there's like Avatar cups and Avatar bowls that they're giving away at the theaters, and I did not get one. No, but... no, 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 no. They bu- the Avatar cup was for sale for $20. Oh and the Avatar God. bowl, the light up popcorn bowl, was for sale for $25. Oh, so um, we did not get those. Hopefully, uh, James Cameron recoups uh, with, with sales and deals like those. Uh, Even the kids Avatar who were working at the concession stand were like, yeah, this is stupid. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing that. They gave him away at all. It. I am going to try to help Charlie find a um an Avatar Kinder Egg because we Ooh. saw one at the grocery store and we didn't get it and like now I want to try to hunt one down put in a stocking. I I I guess my big question to end the segment is like the discussion for the last thirteen years is why would they make a second Avatar? This movie has no place in in culture. It, maybe it was the, the highest grossing movie of all time because we all just had to gawk at it and and see it in three D. Um, but does it? I don't know if a weekend we can really tell, but is there Avatar fever? Are people going to be like, is Charlie clamoring for Avatar action figures? Is this like, is it still, is it a franchise or is it this weird 
artifact of a guy getting I mean, to do whatever the hell he wants for millions and millions and millions of dollars that this will never happen again. I I don't, this is not for, Star Wars, right? I can't speak for Charlie, but the is it a franchise is a ludicrous question because the question is, is this the biggest franchise in the world or is it the third biggest franchise in the world? It's not, is it a franchise? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is going to cross a billion dollars at the box office, not something not even the almighty Black Adam could accomplish. So yes, it is a franchise. <laughs> Adam. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a franchise uh, for sure. Whether it's a James Cameron franchise, uh, I think is yet to be seen. He, I think, is going to get to take this pretty much as far as he wants it. Uh, as long Because the bar, it seems, that he's setting for himself is above the bar that the audience has set for him, regardless of what sort of uh, retroactive feelings we want to feel like we had in... 2009 or two years from now in 2002 uh i i think that it does have a possibility of having like great staying power Hmm. because it's showing us things in a movie theater that we could only see there and that we haven't seen before so like there's stuff in the way of the water that is you know my version of a Star Destroyer going on forever, you know, over my head in the original Star Wars trilogy. And, like, that original trilogy wasn't made to be an IP. It was made for George Lucas to sort of tell really basic stories and push technology forward. And that's what I kind of feel like the Avatar movies are. Until people realized that it was just the way of water and not the way of the water, I do have (laughs) doubts. The way way of water. if, If, you know, because the rumors... Years ago, uh, when the titles were leaked, or you know, potentially leaked, right. uh, the, the first the seed the, bearer, right, the, the... Sequel, the title that was leaked <laughs> for Avatar Two was indeed the Way of Water, uh, and that does make the other titles seem more credible. And by that logic, it does seem likely possible. I don't know about likely. Maybe he's had a change of mind. But if anyone or change of heart, but if anyone is going to stick to their goofy ass vision that's going to be james cameron that the third movie would be called avatar the seed bearer which does present a challenge yeah <laughs> i mean unless it is the how do navi fuck four hour explainer oh, that we've been uh they are the bearer of seeds that we've been waiting for anyway i i i do think it has staying power what it has beyond james cameron i don't know that's because a good, right that's a now great way of putting it like I guess I'm thinking of James, is James Cameron going to be Frank Herbert? Has he created a world that, um, like goofball <laughs> Brandon Ker- Herbert or whatever his name is, is like writing millions of novels that no one ever reads and they don't matter at all, but the Dune franchise continues. Um, or is it going to be something more everlasting that like people will innovate in and will become. He could be that he could deep. be Lucas. He could be Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings, or it's like, one trilogy good, second trilogy not, not so good. And I'm not knocking Frank Herbert either. I mean, he wrote the Dune books and, and then got out and, and that was it. And it was good. Uh, and, and maybe James Cameron needs to be the last person who's ever allowed to just end a franchise. Uh, that wouldn't be bad either. Yeah, I wonder. I think, I just... I think now the, they need to renovate some of the Disneyland Avatar lands to be more water focused. And then, you know, we really know it's going to be around forever. Where's my oh, man. meeting I the Tolkien go to the experience? Water Park. Holy shit. Yeah. Disney Cruise it. needs Tokans <laughs> swimming alongside you. 
Yeah, like uh, like projections, so you could look off and be like, oh, yeah, there are the things with the okay, Avatar. That would be fucking rad. Uh, yes, it would. I might be into yeah. that. <laughs> and it would cost uh, $6,000 per night, and you know what? somebody would pay say, it. It's better than being trapped in a steel box at Star Wars Hotel. Jesus. These experiences are really important to people, and for us, I think we're old enough to bind that to movies, but to some people, it's just going to be like, you know, like with the first Avatar, that rumored group that got really depressed they couldn't actually go to Pandora. Rumor group? Some... They're learning how to with John Wilson. You can go see them on television. <laughs> I'm very concerned about them. Oh yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> um, but uh, I, do yeah. have, I do have trouble picturing James Cameron handing the reins of the Avatar franchise to anyone else. Even if there are like a handful of guys. It'd probably be like Robert Rodriguez, God forbid, uh, who can <laughs> handle the technology. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see, or, like, in 10 years, this could be the the base technology, like, and it could be a lot easier to use, and we're just seeing it forge we forward. We could all but... be making Avatar movies. Maybe mm-hmm. he'll make it open. Our, we could all make Avatar movies on, with a filter mm-hmm. on he'll, our phone. He'll open the code. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did we not say about Avatar The Way of Water? Is this the end of the conversation about Avatar Way of the Water. Oh, shit. I did it wrong again. The way, way of water. Way of water. with you saying Slot it wrong again. House and kill you. That does it for this week's show. We will not be back next week. We're taking a week off and we'll be back in 2023 with our top tens. I got some movies to watch in the meantime, guys. This was the last podcast of the year? Was. Episode 420, Pandemic 150. Light it up. Pew, 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 pew. 2022 is done. Um, so uh, happy holidays to one and all. In the meantime, tell the people where you are. Who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter still, at Mr. Patches, and on Letterboxd, trying to get more Letterboxd going. Uh, and we have a website, fightingintheworm.com. You cannot listen to our Avatar review from 2009. We did not exist then. Um, wow. But we have many, many other movies. Did we talk about Battle- Alita Battle Angel or Terminator, Terminator Dark Fate? Those are technically James Cameron produced movies over the last 13 years. So maybe we talked about his underwater documentary. Go find out. Listen to fightingintheworm.com. I am David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich at Letterboxd. As well, I suppose. Uh, I will be scrambling, scrambling to finish my own uh, end of year movie celebration by whatever arbitrary date I said for myself. It doesn't seem possible, but <laughs> I'm going to try. Or I'm going to have to look dumb on the internet. But what else is new? You can find all of us together on iTunes, The Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. If you're my son, go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, it's me, Dave Gonzalez, on Twitter at DA7E. You can email all of us at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. And we have two more Trial by Content podcasts over on Spotify. Uh, one tomorrow and then one next week. Uh, the one next week is the worst thing we saw in 2022, which I'm looking forward to talking about the other end of all those year end lists. Uh, made me think of the human centipede at the other end of a list. So uh, maybe, maybe that can be grandfathered in. 
Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair on Little Gold Men. We did a listener mailbag um, series for this week, which was really fun. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. We're all on Twitter as long as it lasts at F-I-T-W-R, where you can share your way of water thoughts or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the end of the year holidays, what's a favorite song for this time of year? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you in 2023. Hold on.